Hello, I'm Dr. Brian Cole, your host of Sports Medicine Weekly. In this episode, we're going to discuss a very timely topic. Here we are in the midst of the football season. I can tell you on a weekly basis, I'm starting to see concussions roll in, and we need to help manage these patients and also prevent the downstream consequences. It's interesting that there's an estimated 1.7 to 3.8 million traumatic brain injuries in the United States alone. And more than 20% of these actually come from sports and recreational activities. There's more than 300,000 head injuries just resulting from football alone. But we also see them in ice hockey, lacrosse, rugby, soccer. We're seeing an increasing incidence over all these concussions. Recently, the Center for Disease Control estimated that 5 to 10% of athletes will experience a concussion in any given sports season. In today's episode, we will be welcoming Dr. Elizabeth Piroth. She is a leading expert in the evaluation and management of concussions. But before we begin with this episode, let's hear a word from our sponsors. The Sports Medicine Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Being your best means always getting better. Whether you're looking to improve performance, relieve chronic back pain, or restore mobility through minimally invasive joint replacement surgery, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush delivers results. Their specialists are top ranked in Illinois and among the nation's best, working together to make your recovery faster, more complete, and a seamless experience. They'll get you back to living pain-free, often without surgery, so you can be your best every day. Schedule an appointment online at rushortho.com. Enhanced Medical Nutrition. Enhanced Medical Nutrition builds clinical nutrition products to help patients prepare better and recover faster. The Ortho Nutrition Bundle is a four-week, perioperative nutrition program containing their clinical-grade whey protein isolate and complex carbohydrate powder. Developed in collaboration with internationally renowned nutrition researchers and surgeons, the Ortho Nutrition Bundle is designed to maintain muscle, support wound healing, and improve the recovery experience. To learn more, please visit www.emn.health. Karen Malkin Health Counseling. Have you tried Karen Malkin's new protein brownie bar and superfood bars? They're the best tasting bars on the market. Certified gluten-free, paleo, and no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars and superfood bars available on Amazon and at karenmalkin.com. Vericell. Vericell develops, manufactures, and markets autologous cell-based therapies for patients with serious diseases and conditions. For more information about their products, visit www.vcell.com. That's V-C-E-L.com. Integrated Ortho. Integrated Ortho is Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana's premier provider of iceless thermal and compression therapy devices for patients recovering from orthopedic surgery. Iceless thermal therapy rental products are designed for ease of patient use and to control post-operative pain and swelling. Their sequential compression therapy products offer a portable, lightweight, and tubeless home therapy solution to help prevent blood clot formation following surgical procedures. To determine if iceless thermal therapy or sequential compression products are right for you, please contact your healthcare professional. And for further information about Integrated Ortho's products and services, please give them a call at 773-248-6400. Welcome back again to another episode of Sports Medicine Weekly, and I am Brian Cole, your host. And this episode, again, will be on concussions, and we will be meeting and discussing with Dr. Elizabeth Piroff. Dr. Piroff is my partner. She's a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist. She's the director of the concussion program at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. 
Now, her practice is generally focused on the assessment and management of concussions and other traumatic brain injuries. We're privileged to have her. She has a number of accolades. She's been involved in the assessment of players in the National Hockey League since 1997. She's the head injury concussion specialist for the Chicago Bears, Blackhawks, White Sox, Chicago Fire, and the National Women's Soccer League. She also consults with a number of colleges and high schools across the state of Illinois. She is currently the co-director of the NFL Neuropsychology Consulting Program. She is also the recipient of a number of awards related to her research and expertise in the evaluation and management of concussions. Dr. Piroff, thank you for joining us today. It's obviously a timely topic, and I bet you're very busy as it relates to the management of patients and young athletes who are coming in with concussions. Dr. Cole, thanks so much for having me. Yes, uh, between hockey and football and soccer, the fall is always our busiest season. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, I had a number of questions, and I'm just going to ask you, uh, if you don't mind, just get, get a little closer to your microphone, because I want our listeners uh, to this episode to really hear what you have to say. And I think what I'd like to start out with is, what are the key signs and symptoms of a concussion? You know, how does an athlete know that he or she has actually sustained a concussion? It's a great question. So we distinguish between signs of concussion, which are those things that are observable by other people. And this is the reason I say all the time that I want parents and coaches and teammates to know what to look for if a concussion is suspected. So if an athlete takes contact to the head and they look confused, they are stumbling, their gait is off, they're slow to respond to questions, or they're acting strangely, it may be an indication of a concussion. One of the things that people don't talk about a lot is that sometimes we see personality changes. People can be acting strangely or acting overly aggressive on the sidelines, and that warrants being checked out. The symptoms are those things that the athlete themselves may report, and those are things like headache, dizziness, nausea, ringing in the ears, changes in vision like blurred vision or double vision, sensitivity to light, sound, um, feeling tired, and just feeling off. Uh, one of the cardinal features is really this, you know, people report they just feel foggy, confused, cloudy, out of it, slowed in their thinking. So there are a lot of things that we want uh, athletes to be aware of to know that maybe some of these symptoms they have are concussion, and we want other people involved in these sports to be on the lookout for. Uh, one of the biggest problems that we you have know, in is underreporting uh, yeah. concussions. Yeah, no. In the past, sorry to interrupt you. I was, it was, it was, it was the, the way we used to diagnose these. We say, well, we know that you had a traumatic injury in the head. So let's say in football, and one of the first things we would do it when we come across the sideline is say, look, do you have loss of memory uh, about what happened? Do you know where you are? Um, we've had so much evolution in terms of making the diagnosis. But what are some of the key features? We have a lot of parents uh, with young athletes uh, who listen to these episodes, and you know, I know that they understand the downstream potential problems of uh, someone who sustains a concussion, especially if they get back to too quickly. What are the sort of the key features that you use and you can sort of help our listeners understand the way we actually diagnose that a concussion has actually occurred? So I tell people all the time, we don't have a perfect way to know a concussion has occurred. It's, did you take contact to the head or was there contact to the body that moved the head with significant force? 
And then are the symptoms consistent with concussion and not something else? And you're right. We have come a long way. You know, we used to hear things like if you didn't uh, lose consciousness, you didn't have a concussion. That's absolutely not the case. Only about 9 or 10% of concussions result in loss of consciousness. And it's even lower in sports, particularly youth sports. Um, and then we used to be, you know, can you remember what just what just happened, right? What just happened on the field? What's the, what's the play? But we know that many people will have a concussion without amnesia for the event, which is what they're trying to get at. So, you know, I tell people all the time that, that again, that feature you really want to look for is, is there mental status changes? Is there confusion, disorientation? And I, I joke with parents sometimes I, who don't understand. I'll say it's the too much Sudafed feeling, right? It's that disconnect, that just not feeling as sharp. Um, it's, is, it, is there changes in how the brain is functioning? And that really gives us a strong indication that, in fact, a concussion may have occurred. But when, when an individual actually has symptoms, whether it's loss of concentration or uh, sort of sensitivity to light, so-called photophobia or, or headaches and so forth, in general, what are some of the things that they do currently to manage those symptoms? So initially, we want, certainly want someone to be evaluated by a medical professional to rule out more serious things. Fortunately, most concussions don't require an emergency room visit. But there are what we call danger signs, and those are things that suggest that somebody should go immediately to the emergency room. So those are things like evidence of seizure activity. Fortunately, that's very rare. Any loss of consciousness, repetitive vomiting, any indications of a spinal cord injury like loss of sensation in the arms or legs. And really, it's if the symptoms are worsening. Most of the time when you take an athlete out of play, their symptoms stabilize or they get better. So if somebody is looking more confused or more fatigued and they're reporting their headache is getting worse, we immediately say, go to the emergency room. Otherwise, I tell people to contact their pediatrician or their primary care doc for follow-up. And then it's simply a matter of time. You know, there is no magic cure for concussion. But one of the things that has really changed in the last, you know, decade or so is how we manage concussions. So, you know, you hear a lot from people that, after a concussion, you're supposed to do complete rest. You know, no TVs, no phones, don't go to school or work. And that's actually not what the data tells us. What the research has shown very clearly is the first one to two days, we do want people to take it easy, what we call relative rest. If you're tired, sleep some more, cut back on your activities that may be overstimulating you. But then after a few days, we want people to start slowly increasing their activity as tolerated. We don't want kids kept out of school for long periods of time, and we do get kids back to school and adults back to work with appropriate accommodations. And we even start low-level exertion uh, within a couple of days because the data shows that not only is it safe, but it actually results in people getting back quicker, is that the body needs exertion, it needs activity, particularly for our athletes who are used to moving all the time. Um, when you shut them down for long periods of time, they have all kinds of symptoms just from deconditioning. So we want to start slow um, and start to slowly increase their exertion as tolerated. So we're doing that much sooner than we used to do a decade or so ago. You know, one of the things that uh, we talk about is when an athlete's brain is ready to return to sport is that if we return them prematurely, that it, it sets the stage for a, a potentially a much worse scenario should they get concussed again. Um, and it sort of brings into question, you know, how many, quite, how many concussions are too many 
And, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about return to sport, but I think the thing that's most ominous and that we have, have learned is, you know, the downstream effects of traumatic brain injury, brain injury and so forth, especially in our collision sports such as the NFL. And there's been a, a lot of the media and athletes have really become very vocal to help educate us on what some of these consequences are. But I guess one really basic question is, you know, and I've had uh, some of the athletes that I've managed who have a history of concussions. Now, I refer them to you, but, you know, how many concussions are too many? Obviously, one may be too many, but, you know, when we have athletes who have been returning and, say, responsibly getting back to sport, uh, is there ever a decision that's made just upon, just based upon the quantity or is it always based upon neurologic assessment and sort of the risk, uh, risk-benefit risk ratio of actually playing that sport? It's actually all the above, really. Um, it, these are very complicated conversations, as you can imagine. Um, probably the question I get asked the most is, how many concussions is too many? And the truth is, we don't have a number. I know a lot of people like to say, you know, three and you're out. And those of us who do this work try to push against that a bit for a couple of reasons. Is that one, you know, if you know athletes and you tell them three strikes, you're out, they're not going to report their concussions. They don't want to use a strike. Right. And that's the absolute opposite of what we're trying to get uh, with athletes. We're trying to get them to come forward and report their injuries so that we can manage them appropriately. Um, and I think I tell parents all the time, I, I think one of the reasons that you'll hear three and done is because if you look on the research on multiple concussions, it's always defined as three or more. So in that group, you may have people who have three concussions, five, 10 and, and more. So it's not that we minimize three in any way. It's just that three is not some sort of permanent line in the sand. So there are a number of things that we look for when we say, should somebody retire from a sport? And there's basically four categories. The first is, um, is there what we call increased vulnerability? So is lesser of a force causing a concussion? And these are guys who say, you know, it wasn't that hard of a check in hockey. I don't know why I got another concussion. Or I just headed the ball in soccer. I don't know why I got another concussion. And so what you're seeing is the brain just can take less force. That's a big red flag. The second is, are we seeing increased recovery time? They're just not bouncing back like they did from the last concussion. The third is, do we see residual problems? And for me, this can be, in particular, if somebody starts to develop post-traumatic migraines. And to your point, I've had people that I said, you need to stop after two concussions because I started having migraines. And I tell them, if your brain is responding to trauma with migraines, you need to stop traumatizing it. Um, and the fourth is the number. And again, we don't have a number, but one of the things we look at certainly is proximity. So if you're a, you know, had a concussion because you fall off a chair at two and then you had a, you know, a bicycle accident at 10 and now you're 17, that's a very different picture than I had one last season, then I had one this fall and now I'm here again, right? So you have to look at all of those factors. Plus you look at what sport do they play? What position do they play? How often do they play? We get a lot of kids in soccer who play high school and club, and they're playing five, six days a week, right? And you look at style of play. Are these really aggressive kids who you know go out and their style of play puts them at higher risk? So that's risk versus cost, you know, versus benefit is exactly what we talk about. And can we do something to lower that risk calculation? If not, Sometimes, unfortunately, it's time to call it quits. And those are tough conversations and ones that we hate to have. 
Yeah, no, I, I understand. And that's probably the hardest thing we have with our athletes. And, you know, related to that is this concept of what if they don't stop and, you know, what are the potential consequences? And, you know, I alluded to it before, but this, this risk of traumatic brain injury downstream. And I, and I think that's probably the scariest thing about concussions besides having maybe chronic symptoms of maybe it's concentration, maybe it's migraines, as you say, uh, uh, and, and, and ongoing longstanding symptoms. And I've had some young people that have actually had to be taken out of college or school because they, they couldn't perform or function. And some of them have, have yet to be able to go back after having serial concussions. But then when you take the more dramatic picture of, you know, long-term uh, post-concussive traumatic brain injury where there's actually structural changes by imaging, you know, tell you know, our listeners a little bit about that because I think that's the scariest of all as you get into this uh, array of potentially irreversible changes that uh, maybe could have been prevented had the concussions been managed uh, properly up front. And I think that's the key, Dr. Cole, is that if concussions are managed appropriately, we do believe that people recover. So what we see oftentimes is that people hide their concussions or they minimize their symptoms or, you know, all out deny their symptoms and they go back to play too soon. And that's really the thing that we're most concerned about is somebody having concussion and continue to take contact. But the evidence suggests if they're managed appropriately and we keep people out and we treat those persistent symptoms that people do well. So, you know, unfortunately the, you know, the exceptions are the rule. I, I can tell you all day long, I see people who recover well and go back to sports and go back to play and work and are doing quite well. Um, unfortunately, the exceptions are what you hear about in the news. And the media also doesn't portray the science very well about what we know and we don't know. The truth is that, uh, you know, the media portrays this information on the uh, persistent deficits post-concussion as accepted science. And that's not the case. We have so many unknowns. And that's in no way, shape, or form to minimize the dangers of concussion. Everyone I know who does this work is, you know, deeply uh, dedicated to reducing contact and reducing concussions in kids' sports. But what we're hoping for is a more balanced, uh, you know, discussion among the media about CTE. Um, as a matter of fact, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, 60 uh, medical professionals wrote an article, an op-ed piece signed by 60, you know, uh, people across the world, these top not, not experts, as asking for the, exactly that. It was... The article was called, you know, first do no harm. And it was the notion of we need the media to talk about the science in a more balanced way. Because I will tell you, as somebody who works with kids all the way up to pros, there is a belief by many people that this is an inevitable, you know, uh, future for them. And the data doesn't suggest that. The data suggests that we can treat people and people do well. There are unfortunately certainly people who go on to have permanent um, sequelae of these injuries, um, but we need to have an honest discussion about what we know and we don't know that causes that. You know, there's a lot of uh, myths about concussions and, you know, I wrote some things down to sort of get your sense and hear what you have to say. One of them is when, and you hear this all the time, do I, if I, I've had a concussion, I'm taken home. Uh, they've been properly assessed and there's, they're told to go home, relative rest, not complete rest, and to maybe limit some of the stimulation and so forth. Uh, but does the athlete or individual have to be woken up on an hourly basis to make sure nothing happens? Um, so that's the first one. Tell me about home monitoring when someone comes home having had a concussion. How does the parent or the family know how to manage that, that athlete? So first, if they've been assessed, 
that you do not need to wake them up every two hours, okay? Particularly if they've had a CT scan to rule out any sort of cerebral bleed or any edema, any swelling. But two, you have to look at um, what type of injury. You know, we really worry about those um, injuries when there's a fall onto concrete and those more serious, what we call mechanisms of injuries. But generally we tell people, wait about four to six hours. If something is going to change, it's going to typically happen within that time frame. So I don't want somebody to play hockey at 10 o'clock at night and go right to bed. You know, if they took a really big hit to the head, we want them monitored. Yeah. But if they've if they have been, you know, awake and alert and there's no changes in their symptoms over four to six hours, they're welcome to go to bed. You know, waking a kid up every two hours just makes for a really crabby parent and kid. Um, and there's no evidence that that changes the outcome for the next day. Okay. So that's a good one. If they had progressive symptoms, neurologic symptoms, nausea, vomiting, uh, increasing headache, those are signs that maybe they need more medical care. But your point is, um, if they've been assessed, and even if they haven't had a CAT scan or other, they're home for just at least being able to be monitored while you're awake four to six hours. And if nothing is really changing measurably, one could be reasonably comfortable then going to sleep and not being woken up on a regular basis. Correct. Okay. What about uh, taking anti-inflammatories, uh, taking Motrin or Aleve uh, after having a concussion to help alleviate the headache? Is that okay or does it need to be Tylenol? So generally the first, you know, day or so, we really don't want people, really the first, let's say four to six hours, we don't want people taking anything. Because like I said, if the symptoms are going getting worse, we know that may be an medical emergency. And we don't want you masking your symptoms. If your headache is getting worse, you take Tylenol, it gets better. We may, you know, we may not know that it's actually something more serious going on. So initially we don't tell people to take anything. The first 24 to 48 hours, Tylenol is fine. After that, any kind of NSAID, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen, Motrin, Aleve, aspirin are, are fine. Or if they've been to the ER and they've had a CT scan and the CT scan was clear, they can take whatever they want. Um, you know, some people just say Tylenol works better for their headaches and some say ibuprofen. So at that point, it's really whatever they feel comfortable with. Um, you know, obviously we make sure we get the recommendations not to overdo the ibuprofen. It can be hard on the stomach. We worry about analgesic rebound headaches, those sort of things. But generally the first couple of days, people feel pretty awful. And so we want them to take something just to manage their, their, their symptoms. Another myth is that, uh, you know, if the symptoms don't begin immediately, then it can't be a concussion. Uh, I assume that that's not true. No, it's not true at all. Particularly in athletes, you know, we see this a lot, um, is that, you know, their adrenaline is going, they're in the zone, they're focused on their, on their play and they take a hit and they don't have any symptoms. And oftentimes we'll see, you know, they are taking a shower afterwards or out with friends for dinner afterwards, and then they start to feel some symptoms. So it's, it's actually quite common. We see it a lot. We see it also uh, a great deal in, in motor vehicle accidents and other accidents because people are just in shock, right? They didn't expect to be in an accident. And so the same thing, the adrenaline sort of masks those symptoms. But I will tell you, you know, if you have a, 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 a hit to the head and symptoms don't start till days later, it's not a, it's not likely a concussion. It, it, not that the symptoms are not real, they're just as valid, but we start to look for, is there something else that may be contributing those symptoms? And oftentimes it's the neck, 
pretty much any time time you hit your head, there's some neck, you know, contortion, uh, neck involvement, and the neck can cause a lot of symptoms like headache and dizziness and nausea. And so we want to make sure that we're distinguishing between a head injury and a um, and a, some other cause. And so that's why when I see patients, I'm always really clear to ask for sort of a chronological timeline of when these symptoms started. You know, um, we're starting to see these concussions roll in. As I mentioned, we're in the heart of the football season. Um, you know, I guess the one I, I usually will just refer these individuals directly to you, you know, in but the challenge is not everyone has a Dr. Piroth uh, uh, expert and we're fortunate in Midwest Orthopedics to have you. Uh, but you know, what is the proper evaluation? Do we leave it? Let's assume it's in a high school sport. Uh, is it necessary for every concussion patient, uh, concussion, you know, uh, uh, event to see someone with your expertise or are these things that can be managed generally speaking by say training staff and maybe primary care physicians and things of that nature? How do we determine the, the path of evaluation and treatment? So in a perfect world, everyone could see a concussion specialist. And it's interesting because there's been a number of studies that have shown the sooner you see a concussion specialist, the sooner you get better. And it's not because we have some sort of, you know, I always joke about magic fairy dust we spread on people. It's simply a matter of education and setting people up with the right accommodations and the right expectations for recovery. And we also get on those symptoms that need a, a treatments for, you know, to address. So, but that's just not realistic. Um, you know, I do encourage listeners in other parts of the country to go to sportsneuropsychologysociety.com and look for concussion specialists in their area. It's a great resource. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of athletic trainers. I know you are too, Dr. Cole. And, um, you know, we need our athletes to have access to athletic trainers. These are medical professionals who are well-trained in how to assess concussions. Um, they have tools that they can document the symptoms and, the, and any deficits. And, you know, and typically these injuries can be well-managed by, you know, pediatricians or primary care docs. Um, and so, you know, it's the complicated ones that we really want to make sure we're getting on. I get you know, my heart breaks when I see a kid who's been out for six, eight weeks and is just, you know, continually told, oh, these injuries take time. Just keep waiting when we know there's something we could have done weeks before. So um, if you you have access to someone who specializes in concussion, by all means, do seek them out. If not, make sure that you're talking to your pediatrician about, you know, realistic expectations of recovery um, so that you're getting the appropriate treatment. So let's, you know, I'd like to finish up with probably the most challenging thing that I have to deal with is how to get an athlete back to play. And uh, these protocols have changed a lot in terms of the quiet time or relative rest period. Uh, what are the signals or, or uh, that we use to say it's time to sort of ramp up um, when it, someone's uh, sufficiently, say, asymptomatic? How do we uh, make that decision to initiate uh, reactivation? And, you know, what is the general pattern to get someone back to sport? Uh, I don't, you know, not everyone's a professional athlete. They don't have all these resources and someone to sort of uh, uh, deal with the tempo of, of return. But, you know, for the average individual, can you just help us understand the basic protocol so that we can help uh, those who sustain a concussion from going back prematurely and potentially putting them at greater risk for long-term damage? So it's a, another good question. And here's how I tell people is that there's three basic things we look for. And this is the same from little guys up to the pros. It's they should be without symptoms at rest and with exertion. They should have a normal ocular imbalance exam and their cognition or thinking should be normal. So the first one 
is really something that's changed quite dramatically. We, you know, uh, every athletic trainer out there knows the five-step exertional protocol to return athletes to play. And we used to say not to do any exertion, which means, you know, any activity, exercise, until you have no symptoms. But what we found is that's actually counterproductive, is that you're missing the opportunity to treat some of these symptoms by shutting kids down. So we will start as early as day three or four if the athlete's symptoms are, are manageable. As long as their symptoms are starting to decrease, we'll start to walk them. We say, go for a 10, 15-minute walk, see how you feel. If that is that aggravates your symptoms, we just stay there, right? But we don't want them, you know, I joke with my patients, I'm like, I don't want you to be a slug, right? I want you sitting around doing nothing. If that doesn't bother them, we start to slowly increase their level of exertion. We may get them on a stationary bike or a treadmill. I'm a fan of a stationary bike. Nobody gets dizzy and falls off a stationary bike and it's not jarring to the neck. Um, but then we start to, then we start to get them back out, out to practice. So non-contact practice, nothing that risks any contact at all. Um, and so we start, we want them out in the sun. We want them hearing the whistles. We want them moving their head because, you know, stationary bike, you're looking forward, right? In sports, there's lots of stopping and starting and, and turning your head. So we want to get them to start doing some drills to see, does that cause any return of symptoms? And then, you know, depending on the sport, we may do a contact uh, practice. That may mean, you know, some tackling dummies in football or some heading in practice or some checking, uh, heading in soccer and some checking in hockey, et cetera. Um, you know, some sports are, don't have any contact, so we're not going to have someone throw a volleyball at your head or something along those lines. So we, we start to slowly increase their exertion. We also want to make sure that their thinking is normal. So that means, are they performing normally in school? Uh, you know, they, I joke with kids, you can't go back to, to sports and still, you know, not do your homework or not take tests. So they need to be, you know, fully functioning in school. And depending on the school program or the, the athletic program, there also may be computerized cognitive testing that is done or paper pencil testing that is done. But, you know, here's the thing. Like I said before, like we don't have a perfect way to know if somebody is concussed, we also don't have a perfect way to know someone's recovered. So we always err on the side of caution, and particularly with our young athletes, we really want to make sure that, that we see you know, as, as much evidence that someone is recovered. And I, I give every athlete my speech about being honest about recovery because what we, you know, you'd mentioned it before, but I want to address it is that what we know too, is that when athletes go back to play too soon, their performance declines and they're at higher risk of another injury and not just another concussion, but another, but a musculoskeletal injury. So you may blow out your knee and go, have to go see Dr. Cole or blow out, you know, injure your shoulder or some other injury. When you are not fully recovered, your reaction time is off. Your processing speed is off. So I tell athletes, you know, you, one of the reasons athletes oftentimes to hide their inju injuries is that they feel like they're letting their teammates down. Well, you're letting your teammates down if you are not playing well, and then you go out and you blow out your knee. So I always say to them, just work with me. We can manage this injury. We can get you back to play safely if it's appropriate. Um, but it has to be, you know, everybody, it's, it's a it really is a team decision. The parents, the athlete, the healthcare providers, everyone has to feel comfortable that this person is ready, is ready to return. Yeah, I think that's just really uh, terrific advice. Um, you know, I, I will tell you that you've been an amazing resource for me, uh, for the athletes we have, and it's not just our professional athletes. 
but you know, this is serious stuff. And I think one of the most interesting studies that we've seen over the last five years, in addition, sort of sensitive ways to see if someone's fully recovered and so forth, which really we're trying to use evidence-based medicine to make our decisions. Um, uh, but this concept of actually the the orthopedic injury rate is higher if you're not fully recovered when you go back, and I think that's uh that was that was lost that was not something we recognized in the past, and is pretty fascinating um, as a finding of of you know what to think about when our athletes are going back. And yet one more good reason, as if brain injury isn't enough to actually make sure that people are fully recovered, right? Exactly. So, I, thank you. Yeah. I, you know we've been we've been talking about concussions to kids for decades now, and and we unfortunately haven't moved the needle a lot on increased reporting. And so we have to find ways to meet kids where they're at. And sometimes telling them that your performance is going to be affected on the field or court or rink, and you risk, uh, you know, another injury, hopefully that maybe does move the needle a bit. You know, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to convince kids to be honest about their injuries so we can uh, properly manage them. You know, as we finish up, um, I'd be just interested to know about, you know, your current research at Midwest Orthopedics of Russian concussion and sports and any updates on uh, CTE, otherwise known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, you know, what can you provide us as a, as a brief overview of, of what's, what's around the corner based upon research that's being done by you and your colleagues? So a couple of things that we're working on now is... Uh, what we were just talking about, what, you know, we're looking at where the data tells us about this increased risk of musculoskeletal injuries and how we then create a protocol that picks up those deficits. Because, you know, uh, having a kid run drills on the, on the soccer field is great, but we're looking at, are there specific higher liver balance tests? Are there specific um, musculoskeletal tests like jump box scores and, and reaction time scores that will help us pick up those subtle differences that may make someone at an increased risk for another injury. The other thing that we're looking at is ocular changes post-concussion. Um, over the last, I would say, th four to five years, there's just been an absolute explosion of research looking at ocular and oculomotor changes post-concussion. And it's really, I think, one of the most exciting sort of avenues now. Um, and at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, we're the um, only facility in the Midwest that has a product called iBox. It's made by Oculogica. Um, and it looks at uh, eye-tracking deviations post-concussion, which can be really helpful, not only in concussion diagnosis, but for me, really picking up those athletes that it would benefit from early intervention. Because really when I when I came to MOR, I told everyone my mantra is, you know, uh, active rehabilitation and early intervention is that we were, go we were going, we're following what the data tells us. And that is to get people, not just athletes, but everyone moving sooner and to get on these persistent symptoms so we can get people feeling better sooner. Um, nothing is more heartbreaking to me when I see somebody who's, like I said before, has been out for weeks and suffering when I know that there's are effective evidence-based treatments to, to treat those symptoms. Well, that's great stuff. And I think it's a good segue as we wind up. I mean, I, uh, I think that all of our listeners need to remember that all the proceeds of our uh, uh, podcast episodes actually go to support research like that uh, at Midwest Orthopedics and Rush University Medical Center. So uh, thanks for, for participating and contributing. Thanks for the discussion. I always appreciate it. So you have listened to yet another episode podcast of Sports Medicine Weekly. Please tune in to the next episode on a weekly basis, wherever you love to tune in to your favorite podcast episodes. 
Thank you. I'm Brian Cole, your host of Sports Medicine Weekly. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. Make sure to also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. Net proceeds from Sports Medicine Weekly go to support research at Rush University Medical Center in the Department of Orthopedics. The Sports Medicine Weekly podcast is brought to you by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Being your best means always getting better. Whether you're looking to improve performance, relieve chronic back pain, or restore mobility through minimally invasive joint replacement surgery, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush delivers results. Their specialists are top ranked in Illinois and among the nation's best, working together to make your recovery faster, more complete, and a seamless experience. They'll get you back to living pain-free, often without surgery, so you can be your best every day. Schedule an appointment online at rushortho.com. JRF Ortho. JRF Ortho partners with orthopedic surgeons to improve the quality of life of patients by enabling them to have an active life through the generous gift of cartilage and ligament transplantation. Please go to jrfortho.org to learn more or sign up to be a tissue donor at donatelife.net. With over 205 years of combined experience successfully representing victims of personal injury and wrongful death matters, the attorneys of Tomasic, Coton, Kasserman are committed to working for you. Reach them at 312-605-8800 or on the web at tkklaw.com. Karen Malkin Health Counseling. Have you tried Karen Malkin's new protein brownie bar and superfood bars? They're the best tasting bars on the market. Certified gluten-free, paleo, and no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars and superfood bars available on Amazon and at karenmalkin.com. Integrated Ortho. Integrated Ortho is Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana's premier provider of iceless thermal and compression therapy devices for patients recovering from orthopedic surgery. Iceless thermal therapy rental products are designed for ease of patient use and to control post-operative pain and swelling. Their sequential compression therapy products offer a portable, lightweight, and tubeless home therapy solution to help prevent blood clot formation following surgical procedures. To determine if isolus thermal therapy or sequential compression products are right for you, please contact your healthcare professional. And for further information about Integrated Ortho's products and services, please give them a call at 773-248-6400.